0: Principal Matters Podcast Episode 86 Guess what? Hi Principal Matters listeners, this is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Where each week I bring you inspiring ideas on improving your own school leadership. This week I want to talk about The book Now We're Talking by Justin Bader, who has agreed to interview on Principal Matters about his ideas on how to enhance the conversations, the relationships, and the time that you're spending with teachers in classrooms. Justin spent the first 10 years of his career as a teacher and principal in Seattle Public Schools. And since 2012, he's been a full-time consultant and director of the Principal Center. He speaks at national conventions. He helps school leaders become more productive using high-performance strategies and technology to increase their impact on student learning. He's also the host of Principal Center Radio. And you may have heard our interview over my newest book, Messaging Matters, a few weeks ago. I'm so excited to talk to Justin about his new book. And I want you to listen to the end of this conversation because I did something I've never done before. When I finished my conversation with Justin, I left the recorder going and just followed up with one extra question. So there's a bonus question at the end that I actually, when I listened back, I realized was probably the deepest part of our conversation. So I hope you enjoy all of the value that Justin brings in this interview. And especially, I hope that you take time to listen in to the conversation at the end to be reminded about why the work you're doing is so important. Justin Bader, welcome to Principal Matters Podcast, and thank you so much for sharing your valuable time with us today to talk about your new book. Now we're talking 21 days to high performance instructional leadership. Tell us why principles
1: should get a hold of your new book. The book comes out of my experience as an elementary principal and over the last five years as a consultant and author at the Principal Center. And I really just want to help principals get into classrooms on a consistent basis, talk with teachers, have those evidence-based conversations that really impact practice and make that a core part of instructional leadership practice. So I'm really excited to to have this book out and to have the chance to speak with you about it today. Well,
0: talk to us first about about the work that you've done with principals and helping them optimize time in classrooms, because I know that's been a mission of yours and you've had some really practical ways for principals to do that. It's some amazing statistics from principals who've increased the time that they spend in rooms. So give us a little bit of that history and then why you think it's so important for principals to to optimize those classroom visits.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it it comes out of just the fact that it's a tough job, right? So I've always been interested in productivity and how to manage my work and how to manage my time and, you know, just make it all fit within the limited number of hours in the day. Um, so, so as a aspiring principal, as a practicing principal, and as a former principal, you know, time management and productivity have always been big interests. But ultimately, I got to the question of, you know, productivity at what? You know, like for, to what end? And, and what specifically do we need to be productive at? And about four years ago, we launched a program called the 21 day instructional leadership challenge. And in that program, I put in, you know, every strategy I could think of for, for making time, for keeping that work under control, for making a schedule for getting into classrooms and developing that habit of, you know, just observing in classrooms briefly, having a conversation with the teacher and impacting practice and really, really being an instructional leader. But what has always been a challenge is helping people actually follow through, you know, because so much gets in the way. There are so many things competing for our time. Uh, we've had over 10,000 people sign up for the challenge, um, but I ha- I've had growing concerns over the last couple of years that it was tough to finish, you know, that a lot of people were getting excited, getting started, but the follow through was tough. So I'm really excited about the uh, the potential in the book for people to get a, a deep understanding of what they're setting out to do, you know, and and certainly people can uh, compare my model with their own goals and figure out what works for them. Uh, But I'm really excited about that opportunity to just get people into classrooms on a a consistent basis, because I know for myself as a principal, it was tough. It was a struggle and there was never enough time. So I think that's, that's the universal in our profession, right?
0: Uh Uh-huh. And so I'm thinking about that that principal right now, he or she who's listening to our conversation and they're like, uh, I would love to be in classes more, but I can't even figure out how to, you know, transition from the crisis that I'm managing when school starts to answering the questions that are coming to me throughout the day or being pulled from classrooms whenever I'm trying to get in for those observations. So share with us a little bit of coaching on how you talk to principals about figuring out how to, Get into rooms about figuring how to manage those those responsibilities that they'll always manage, but at the same time, uh, optimizing and increasing the time in classrooms because you've had a lot of principals do that successfully. And so tell us, give us some takeaways or some coaching on how to begin to make that shift.
1: Yeah. And and hearing those success stories can be kind of intimidating. Uh, Last year, we collected success stories and we said, let us know if you got into classrooms 500 times this year. And just dozens upon dozens of people would send me messages on Twitter or emails or, you know, screenshots of their observation app. And an incredible number of people did it, got into classrooms 500 times. We had several people get into classrooms over a thousand times in one school year. And, you know, there are these models out there that say, you know, you should spend two full days a week in classrooms. You know, don't even go to your office two days a week. You know, and if you hear that thinking, I can't even get out of my office once (laughs) two days a week, except for the required, you know, things that I have to go to, I'm just so overwhelmed. You know, you might just be tempted to say, that's not for me. You know, that's that's never going to happen in this particular school. Maybe if I go to a different school, that that might be possible. So I I really wanted to make it easy to get started, and in fact, almost impossible not to get started. So what you're not going to find is this unrealistic advice that says, you know, just prioritize getting into classrooms and you can make it happen if you care enough. You know, I I think we all care quite a bit. It's a priority for everyone, but it does come down to some very practical things. And and one is just scheduling. So instead of saying tomorrow I'm going to be in classrooms all day, which you and I both know is tough to pull off in the best of circumstances – and completely unrealistic for most people. Instead, if you have lunch duty at noon, leave your office at 1145, you know, wrap up what you're doing on your computer or wrap up the conversation that you're in with someone in the office and leave your office at 1145 and stop by one classroom on the way to the cafeteria. You know, don't interrupt yourself. Don't say I need to have a whole day to do this or a half day to do this. Give yourself 15 minutes. And when you get into classrooms, instead of saying, okay, well, I have to pull out our rubric and I have to have the teacher's lesson plan and I have to have some professional growth standards that I want to help the teacher improve on, you know, rather than give ourselves this huge, difficult task that honestly, no one in their right mind would look forward to, we've got to make it simple on ourselves. We've got to make it easy on ourselves because if we want the habit to stick, it's got to be sustainable, so there there will be a time and a place later to kind of, uh, you know, get more serious, get more rigorous with how we're using our evaluation instrument and, you know, the the feedback that we're providing to teachers. But my, my message is get started and keep it simple. So when you get into classrooms, just show up, pay attention, have a conversation with the teacher, say something nice, you know, great to see you today, you know, really interested to see what, you know, what students were working on and leave it at that. You know, I think we set up this huge barrier for ourselves when we say, oh, well, I have to have, you know, this format of feedback. I have to fill out this form. I have to give a rating. I have to do all these things. And the more we have to do when we get there, the less likely we ever are to get there in the first place.
0: Yeah, and Justin, you know, I think one of the powerful practices for school leaders is reflection. And so as you're as you're describing these scenarios of trying to strategize ways to get into classrooms, it just makes me want to, to transition to this question, which is – and I, I know some of this stuff is things that we know from research, but I think it's good to be reminded. Give us the scenarios of the difference between principals who – and in schools where principals are not in classrooms versus principals who increase – time seeing instruction. And and I know that we can probably all come up with those lists in our own heads, but I think it's, a, it's good to reflect on that because you've reflected on it a lot. So talk to us about a little bit of where are schools where principals aren't able to get in the classrooms, and then how does that look different once they've increased that time?
1: Yeah. Well, I think one big difference is in the way you approach teacher evaluations. You know, typically teacher evaluations require you to be in classrooms a certain number of times, so maybe two formal observations. Uh, maybe for newer teachers, it's three. Maybe it's one for certain teachers, depending on your state. But you know, there's a, there's a required amount of time that you're supposed to be in the classroom to do an evaluation. And for most people, that's a huge time suck at certain times of the year, right? You're, you're spending days and days and days on these evaluations, and it's really the only thing that you can focus on during that kind of window of time. And if that's the only time you're in classrooms, think about what happens in your relationship with the teacher in that context. You know, you're, you're in there for a very high stakes purpose. You're conducting an evaluation of thousands of hours of teacher practice based on one or two hours at most of actual observed teaching and based on Maybe three, four, five, six conversations at most. You know, I, th- I think in the, the formal required process, you might be required to talk with teachers, you know, a maximum of about eight times and maybe as few as two or three and compare that to what if you're in classrooms every single day? And in the book, I recommend visiting three classrooms a day. So if you have, say, 30 teachers in your school, that means three visits a day will get you around to every teacher on an informal basis every 10 days or about once every two weeks. And that means over the course of a school year, you're going to be in every teacher's classroom, depending on the size of your school, 15 times, 16 times, 18 times. And every time you're in there, you're going to learn more about that teacher's practice that's going to make it easier to write their final evaluation. And a lot of people will say, "Well, my, my informal visits are non-evaluative. You know, the the formal observation process is where we work on the evaluations. But my informals, those are just walkthroughs. Those aren't those aren't evaluative." And I say, you know, if you are the evaluator, nothing you do is truly non-evaluative because every interaction you have with someone gives you information and gives you context uh, that shapes your judgment about that teacher's final evaluation and. You know, teachers can sometimes be scared of that, of thinking, oh, I'm, you know, this is evaluative. But I think it actually works in teachers' favor to have each interaction be lower stakes and to have teachers, you know, have 15 or 20 opportunities to demonstrate their abilities and not just those one or two formal observations. So I I think that's just one example of how something else that we have to do in addition to getting into classrooms, you know, those formal observations and final evaluations, they just get much, much easier. And they almost write themselves when you've been having those conversations with teachers throughout the year.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. You know, Justin, one of the things that I know is in your skill set is time management, helping to understand how to prioritize and, and as a, um, I know that you are an award winning principal recognized at the national level. Um, I know that you spent years practicing what you preach. Give us some examples where or, or inst- or you've seen instruction significantly changed because of that principle being able to increase time in, in rooms.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think in, you know, in my own practice, for me, what it really came down to was just a dramatic increase in my understanding of the curriculum. Um, and, I, you know, as a former middle school teacher, I had a huge learning curve when I became a principal of a K-5 school. And I think, you know, just about any administrator has areas of the curriculum that, you know, they didn't personally teach. And I felt like my ability to help teachers grow in subjects that I had never taught, grade levels I had never taught, was really limited until I had spent significant time in those classes, you know, seeing how the best teachers teach, seeing how students learn, seeing what the misconceptions are and seeing the the structure of the discipline and the design of the curriculum. I, I think that for me personally was the biggest thing that I, I learned the curriculum at a far deeper level than I ever could have, you know, just from, you know, trying to pick it up at, at trainings, you know, actually seeing teachers teach is is the best professional development for leaders far and away and i think for you know for anybody at the secondary level you're going to have that issue no matter what you know no one has taught every single subject at every single grade level and the best way to learn what good teaching looks like is to go and see you know, go and see good teachers every day.
0: So let me let me play the um, devil's advocate because I know that you often hear objections. And so I'm the principal who's uh, the school leader who's listening to this. And I get excited about the kind of time I can invest in rooms. But my inbox is so full of email that I can't even figure out how to answer the questions that I'm receiving every day from the multiple different stakeholders and and people that are reaching out to me. And, and I know you have entire lessons that you teach on things like that, Justin, but go there with us for just a minute. Something practical in terms of time management, because I consider you a Justin Bader, one of the time management gurus that I know. So give us some feedback. And I know maybe it's impossible to ever master that completely, but, um, but it's really one of the biggest questions that I hear when I'm sharing with school leaders consistently is how do I get a handle on uh, my inbox?
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's such a huge issue. I mean, fully, this is a book on getting into classrooms, but fully a fourth of the book is dedicated to productivity and, and to, you know, clearing not just the time, but the, the mental space to get into classrooms. Because what I would often find is if I felt like I didn't know what was going on in the office, or I didn't feel like it was under control back in the office, or if I just had too much that needed to get done today, you know, I might be able to get into classrooms, but I was going to find any excuse not to, and I wasn't going to be fully present when I was there. So yeah, it's a huge issue for everyone. And I think a couple of systems that, that can really be helpful, you know, one thing that we've got to accept is that we're never going to get everything done. You know, we're always going to have more work that we could be doing that other people would like us to do that we're simply never going to get to. And I, I realized this after years and years of trying to use an electronic to-do list And, you know, just finding that a lot of that stuff that I would put in that to do list would just never get done. And I was frustrated with myself that I, you know, this productivity person was not getting (laughs) all these things done, that I was that I was supposed to. And what I realized was that my to do list was not really my to do list. My to do list was a planning tool and a prioritization tool. So These days, I'm using the same app. I use an app called Todoist, which is very popular, very easy to use, has uh, apps for every device out there. But I don't look at it as a to-do list. I look at it as a prioritization tool. So if I have a 100 things in there and 80 of those things never get done, I'm okay with that because that's a decision that I've made. But where we get overwhelmed is when we're unable to make that decision because we're not even clear on all the things that we have to do. So, having that one place, that one dashboard where everything that you have to do, could be doing, people want you to do, need to do, you know, all that can be thrown in there together and organized so that you can actually look at it. That is a game changer. And I found that I don't have to do everything in that app, but I do have to be very diligent and very consistent and very disciplined about keeping up with communication. And when we confuse those two things, when we say, oh, well, my email has a bunch of work that I have to do and I have all these to do's and they're all mixed up together. Well, communication and to do's are two different things. And if I'm not communicating with people and I don't know what they're communicating with me because I have 900 unread emails, that's a problem. And it was a problem, you know, for me, it's a problem for, I would say, most everybody. I always ask people, you know, how many emails do you have in your inbox? And, you know, usually people look at each other kind of guiltily, uh, and, and there's always someone with five digits, you know, 10,000 or more emails in their inbox. And they're you know, most people have a couple hundred or a couple thousand, but my, my message to people on, on email is you've got to get through your email every day and you've got to get back to people quickly. But what you don't want to do is use email as your to-do list because you just can't organize it well. You know, it's just not designed for that. It's a communication tool. You know, it's like if, if you had to make a phone call for every task, you know, that, that email is not the task. The, the to do app is where you manage that task and email is just a communication tool. So we've got to treat it that way. We've got to get back to people quickly. Uh, and I like a system that my friend, Kevin Cruz, developed called three, two, one, zero. And he says, okay, I'm only going to check email three times a day and I'm going to check it for 21 minutes at a time. So adding that up, you get about 63 minutes a day and you can get a lot of email processed in 63 minutes. And, you know, for most people, that's once in the morning, maybe once in the afternoon and once at night or, you know, morning, midday, afternoon, whatever works for you. And in that time, you go through every single message in your inbox and you triage. You either get back to someone very quickly, give them a short reply, or you say, I'm going to put that on my to do list or I'm going to put that in the newsletter or, you know, you make a decision very quickly and you don't let yourself get bogged down in actually doing that work. Because if you do, then you're not going to get through all of your email. And it may be that some of those things need to go in your calendar as an appointment. You know, if I need to write this teacher a recommendation letter by Friday, I know I'm going to have to block out some time to do that. Well, put it on your calendar and get the email handled instead of leaving the teacher wondering if you're going to get back to him, you know, send him a quick reply, say, yes, I will do that on Thursday and I'll have it in your box by the end of the day. But you don't have to do it while you're, you know, while you're answering email. Personally, I have been caught up on email every single day, uh, for more than a thousand days. And I've been keeping track. It's it's the one thing that I do. Well, I also brush my teeth, but it's the one thing that I make sure I do every single day without fail. Because I know if if people have communicated with me and I don't know what they've communicated with me, that creates a huge sense of uncertainty and a huge sense of anxiety that really keeps me from focusing on what I need to be focusing on. So you'll never get all the work done, but you can get current on the communication.
0: So I'm like taking notes on these things Justin because you're you're helping me out here and it, I think if there was a guinness book of world records on numbers of days that the inbox has been empty you just want it um but, but have you checked I'm just curious have you checked to see if there's a world record
1: I haven't I'm sure I'm sure I don't have it but you know it's something people have been talking about for a long time kind of inbox zero and you know, we all have. You know, if I'm if I'm traveling or something, you know, some of those I'm I'm just snoozing them to get through them. So I've seen them, but I'm not handling them. You know, but it's it's really that feeling of getting current that's you know that's valuable.
0: Well, and, and here's the takeaways that I'm thinking of as you as you're saying that, and and principal matters listeners, as you're as you're listening to this too, some of you guys that are driving need to just listen to this later when you can sit down and take notes. Don't try to take notes while you drive. But you know, here's some takeaways that I, that are sticking in my mind. The email is not a It's not a scheduling tool. I love that. And I'm taking notes personally, Justin, because sometimes I find myself in that trap where I'm opening up an email and instead of remembering that this action that I need to take might need to be moved over to a to-do list or might need to be something that I'm scheduling, I'm trying to take care of business right there. And I think that's where you get bogged down. Uh, I love that three-two-one analogy too. I I got to the place uh, in especially when I was uh, still working in the school where I would have to set a timer for myself on email and and it would force me to, because I had a timer, it would force me to not stop and dwell too long on a, a particular uh, message. But I love that mindset uh, of just realizing this is, this is not a scheduling tool. This is a communication tool. Do your, do your work away from the inbox, let the inbox be where you've received the message, but stop trying to use it as a to-do list and I think that's huge. Any other takeaways on um, on that that you want to share before I transition to another question?
1: Yeah, one that that people tell me is consistently life-changing. Like I've had multiple people come up to me at conferences and say, oh, Justin, I saw you a couple of years ago at this conference. And there's one thing I took away from your conference. And I think, oh, what was it? Was it about instructional leadership? And they say, no, it was about folders. And I say, oh, okay, well, great. I'm glad that helped. What was the folder thing? <laughs> so um, for years, I've been teaching a system that I did not invent. Uh, my friend Frank Buck has been teaching this for years on you know productivity for principles, and it's been around for for centuries. But the the future file or the tickler file is a way to get your desk clear and to get everything off of your desk that doesn't need to be on there today, and yet get a reminder of anything that you need to see in the future. So it's a, a system of 43 folders, one for every day of the month and one for every month of the year. And if you need something, but not today, and it's on your desk right now, you stick it in a folder and you say, okay, this is, this is something I need to see on the 31st. So you put it in the 31 folder. And then on the 31st, you open that folder and there you've got everything you need for the day. And when you use that system, you no longer need to keep stuff on your desk as a reminder that you need to do it. You can just decide when you want to see it again, either deal with it today or decide when you want to see it again, throw it in the appropriate folder, and then it's out of your way, but you won't forget about it. You know, it's not like that file cabinet where who knows what's in there from years and years ago. It's all time sensitive. It's all time specific. So people love that system. Uh, you can get labels and a a full set of instructions on how to use that at principalcenter.com slash future. We've got a free PDF guide that, uh, kind of walks you through the process. Your secretary can set that up for you in, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and you can be using it by the end of the day to get your desk totally clear. So that's, that's probably my, uh, you know, Top tip or the, the thing that I've gotten the best feedback on from people that just really makes a difference. It's really nice to have your desk clean every day. And people will come in and say, wow, what happened? Did you get fired? Like, are you leaving? And you say, no, I'm just getting <laughs> I'm just getting organized. <laughs> and it's a great feeling.
0: That's a great practical tip. And uh, Principal Matters listeners, if you have not checked out Justin's uh, website before, principalcenter.com it is a treasure of resources for school leaders who want to be more innovative. They want to be more practical. They want to be more strategic. And um, Justin, I'm just going to, you know, we're talking about your book but I'm just going to give your resources a, a huge plug here because what's great about Justin is not only is he interested in helping other people improve, but he puts together almost all of his strategies. You can find in uh, video tutorials that he creates where you can see him do the work, and so um, I know that uh, I've looked at some of your resources and gotten some great ideas for how to organize a desk or how to set up your office or how to, you know, to just some of those things that when you're in a friend's office and you see them do something that you're like, oh, that's that's fantastic. I wish I'd thought of that. Justin not only teaches it but he demonstrates it. Justin, on your book, if you had an opportunity to to talk to a new leader, what are some ways that you would suggest that they create? I know you talk a lot about cycles of visits. And so how? what are some tips that you would give them? And I know your book goes through all of this. And so I'm just asking for the abbreviated version. But how would you encourage them to create? What do you mean by cycles of visits? But then
1: how do they create those? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what, what's at the heart of all of them that, that makes it work is conversation. You know, I, I set up meetings one-on-one with everyone in my school before I even started. You know, in May and June, after I was hired, but before the school year began. And I learned so much that I, I knew... From those conversations, that I needed to continue having conversations with people, so it, it can begin even before your first day on the job. But in the the first cycle, and we call this the every classroom challenge, give yourself five days to get around to every teacher, and just make that a visibility thing. You know, pop your head in, say hi, make an appearance. Uh, you know, just get in in the groove, get people used to seeing you in classrooms so that it's not a, a weird thing and just very quickly get around to everyone. And that's cycle. Number one, cycle. Number two is, you know, stay a while, stay a few minutes, uh, start to visit three classrooms a day. You know, when you're, when you're in that first kind of make an appearance cycle, you can visit 10 or 20 classrooms a day pretty easily. But after that, in your second round of visits, stay for a few minutes, five, 10, 15 minutes, and just pay attention, just notice things. And, you know, say something nice to the teacher Maybe, you know, maybe don't even take notes yet and then move on. And then in the third cycle, that's when you want to start to take, you know, a little bit more in the way of notes. By that time, teachers have seen you twice and nothing bad has happened to them. So they're not going to be as afraid of, you know, having you in the classroom as they will if on day one you show up with a laptop and start, you know, clacking away on the, uh, the keyboard. So in the, the first cycle, just show up. Second cycle, just show up, but stay a little bit longer. Talk with the teacher. Third cycle, that's where you can start to take notes and have a, a more substantive conversation. And uh, in the book, I go into to kind of what, what that substance can look like, um, you know, and, and how to make it rigorous, how to make it aligned to your evaluation framework and your goals as a school and, and all of that in that third cycle. But, you know, we're, we're building multiple types of muscles when we do this, right? We're building our own self-discipline in getting into classrooms. We're getting teachers and students used to us. We're getting our office staff used to us being gone you know, at at certain times a day and we're getting ourselves used to talking about instruction with teachers outside of the formal observation process. So I am a big fan of, of kind of working up to it and starting with something doable and, and really getting to a place where you feel like, you know, you're having the impact that you've wanted to have. And it's just been great to see how many people have have been successful at that and how many people have, have gotten into classrooms 500 or more times in a school year. And I was talking to somebody the other day who said, oh yeah, I hit 500 by November. I thought, wow, this is, you know, people are, are going far beyond what I even envisioned for this. So it's it's really exciting to see the movement taking place of just getting principals into classrooms.
0: Well, the book is Now We're Talking, 21 Days to High Performance Instructional Leadership by Justin Bader. And Justin, thank you for your valuable time sharing uh, with Principal Matters listeners this incredible resource and I know folks can access that lots of ways. Can you share the best ways for them to get a hold of that resource?
1: Sure. If you go to principalcenter.com, you will find a link there. You can go directly to principalcenter.com slash NWT. For now we're talking, and you can find it on Amazon or wherever it works for you.
0: Well, thank you. And Principal Manager's listeners, if you want to check out Justin's resources, you can do so at PrincipalCenter.com. He's also a keynote speaker, a presenter. He does lots of uh, both online and in person. PD for school leaders. So uh, check out Justin Bader's resources. You will not be disappointed. Justin, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thanks for doing what matters for school leaders. And I'm looking forward to talking to
1: you again soon. Well, likewise. Thank you for for what you do. And it's been an honor to to be on your show. Thanks so much.
0: Okay, I'm I'm keeping my recording going for just a moment because I may want to edit something a little bit later because I'm going to ask you one more question that may be bonus. So what was your, um, I'm just curious as you're, you know, I just finished my first, book with solution tree. And, uh, the second time I've written one. So you've made it through that whole process. Was there anything that in your research and your writing and putting it all together that surprised you? Like, you're like, wow, I just learned something I didn't know in the process of putting this together.
1: I think one of the biggest surprises for me was, you know, one thing solution tree pushed me to do that I had not been as careful about is, is to look at the existing literature you know, and, and to see, is there anybody who's already said the same thing that you're saying? So I, I looked at, you know, the books that were out there on classroom walkthroughs, on teacher observation. And, you know, of course, there are a lot of great books that I was familiar with, like uh, Charlotte Danielson's work and Kim Marshall's work, uh, his book, Rethinking Teacher Supervision and Evaluation. And I found a few things on walkthroughs. But what really surprised me was that a lot of what we just take for granted as what you're supposed to do in walkthroughs, what you're supposed to do as an instructional leader there's nothing on it. Like we're doing a lot of things that no one has actually taught and no one has actually studied. And I was shocked by that. Like the whole idea of walkthrough forms, you know, and I, I certainly used walkthrough forms. I made walkthrough forms. I made electronic forms. I, I did a ton with forms and I thought forms were really important, but there is nothing there. No research has ever been done that says walkthrough forms are helpful. No books have been written on how to use walkthrough forms, how to design walkthrough forms that impact teacher practice. So we're doing all these things that when you look, you find there's there's no research behind them. And and I think it's just kind of the the folklore of our profession. So I, I was really surprised by that. And I, you know, I really wanted to, you know, to make sure that everything that I recommended in the book had been field tested by me and that I had taught it to other people and found that it wasn't just me, that it actually worked for them too. And, you know, this, this is kind of a, you know, an area where the research is not, you know, like nobody's going to fund a double blind study on instructional leadership practices. You know, we're not in like the pharmaceutical industry where we can do that kind of research, but I feel like it needs, you know, it needs to have a solid foundation, you know, based on what we know about how to lead schools effectively. And it needs to ring true for practitioners. Um, so, uh, what I'm hearing from a lot of people about their walkthroughs that they haven't been doing, but that they felt like they were supposed to be doing, is a great sense of relief. You know that, like, oh, okay, well, I, you know, my district said I had to do that, and we've been doing that in our state for a long time. But that's really interesting that there's no research on that. That we're supposed to fill out these forms and give the teachers these ratings, and you know, the right. It sounds like you're doing that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, it, and I think your approach gives people a lot of freedom to build relationship. And um, Which is why I think the title of your book is so catching, you know, now we're talking, because really the, the goal is to move from that outside observer who's seen as an expert, who may seem intimidating to someone because you're only connecting with them when it's formal or required, to becoming a person who they see regularly, who's having conversations with them about learning who they can trust. And that trust is going to lead to deeper conversations than you're ever going to have um, just simply uh, formalizing the the structure. That's so huge, Justin, because that's a culture thing. And um, I, I talked to so many leaders who understand the outcomes that they need, but they're not necessarily investing in the in, – and, and they, they want to – some of them are also investing in the culture. But I think sometimes we – because we're so outcomes-driven, we forget that the soil has to be culture first. Before you can have any real outcomes that are meaningful and, and long lasting, or at least I think deeper outcomes. And I, and so, um, and I think, I think the research does back that up when you look at model school, blue ribbon schools, when you look at the breakthrough schools, all of them not only have great outcomes, but they have really healthy cultures of trust um, and relationships. And so I think that's one of the best takeaways from your book is you're giving people permission to have relationships again.
1: Yeah, because cause a lot of those non-research based things that we think we're supposed to do feel really terrible on a human level, you know, <laughs> like you would never do them to your family. You know, you would never go in and give people a compliment and then a suggestion for improvement and then another compliment and then write it on a, a two part non-carbon form and then leave. Like you would just never <laughs> do that as a human being. And yet it's just become normal. But having a conversation is something we all do every day with lots of people. Um, and it's, it's just a more natural way to, to relate. Um, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Relationships make well, the world go know, around.
0: The, when you and I talked about messaging matters and how committed I am to trying to, to convince school leaders that they have to be the chief communicators and cheerleaders for their schools. And you can't do that if you're not seeing what's happening. And so it's, it's like. All of these things work together, and so the more you can get into a room, the more instruction you can see, the more wonderful things you can see teachers and students doing. And yes, you also observe things that need to be coached, corrected, improved, but the more you're um, connecting and doing that, then the more you have to celebrate and talk about and, and display and, and share Um, with others too. And so I love that. Yeah. I'm thinking of the analogy of, if my four children, if I walked into their room, every time I walked into the room, I I leave some kind of form, some kind of critique. They would never want me in their room. Um, It would be like, please do not come in my room. Um, But if coming in their room meant that I'm connecting again, or I'm cheering them on, or I'm just saying hi, um, then that's, that's called relationship. And that's so, so much better.
1: Mm
0: Principal Matters listeners, thank you for the time that you took to listen to that conversation with Justin Bader this week. And now it's your turn. As you are walking through your school this week, as you are thinking about how you can connect with teachers and students, what are the kinds of cycles that you can create so that that becomes a natural part of your leadership? Not just something that's formal, but something that, like in real relationships, happens because of the time that you've taken to connect, to listen, and to learn together. I hope you have a fantastic week. Thanks for doing What Matters.